0: This is a Burn FM podcast.
1: Hello, welcome to Moni Lisa, an art history podcast open to everyone.
0: Whether you know a lot or a little about art... Join us to gossip about the dark side of art's past. We're talking unfiltered feuds, frauds and affairs. I'm Nadia. And I'm Ella. So, what are we moaning about today, Ella? It's no secret, like in pretty much anything you can think of, women have been given pretty short shrift in art history. The art world has ritually excluded female artists, objectified the female form and ignored female success.
1: The patriarchy strikes again, am I right? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh.
0: What a great subject to moan about. And we're going to discuss some artists that have in their own ways confronted sexism through art.
1: So we've each chosen two feminist artworks that will present to one another and try to determine how successful they are in their feminist objective. But before we get into that, let's do what we do best and have a moan about some of the obstacles facing women throughout art history.
0: He is a 60-second guide to sexism in the art world.
1: So we're starting with the Renaissance period, the 14th and 15th centuries. You've heard of Michelangelo and da Vinci, but have you heard of the female artist Plotilla Nelli? No, history was written by men from the male perspective and in patriarchal societies, so women artists were often dismissed from the books. A man called Vasari had great responsibility for this.
0: Moving forwards to art academies, basically schools for art, these existed in Italy but began to pop over Europe in the mid-1600s onwards. Only men were permitted to attend, and in the cases where women could attend, they were not allowed to draw nude male models. But male attendees were allowed to draw both male and female which was a bit of a catch-22 because the ultimate form of art was seen as big history paintings from mythology, the Bible and battles, featuring lots of men, many half and even fully nude. So women didn't have access to the tools they needed to achieve the big-time artworks.
1: So that's why women are often associated with lower forms of art and crafts, such as flower painting, animal painting, still life. Art historians call this flora and fauna. And embroidery, they just really weren't encouraged to paint on that big, dramatic scale that galleries were into. So when galleries started to open, women weren't even really included
0: in the exhibits themselves. You're thinking, surely things have gotten better for women by 2021, but have they? Here's a statistics dump.
1: So, in the UK, female artists account for 4% of the National Gallery of Scotland's collection, 20% of the Whitworth Manchesters, and 35% of Tate Modern's collections. It's not great. Only 33% of the artists representing Britain at the Venice Biennale over the past decade have been women. Tut, tut.
0: But now we've got that out of our system.
1: I know, I'm so riled up. We need to fight for our rights, Ella. So what art have you got for me?
0: Right, Nadia. If I called you a witch, would you be offended?
1: Yeah, I think so. It's a bit of a nasty word. It's a bit of an insult, I think. Um, You know, I feel like you'd be implying I was like evil or like an old hag. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Although, to be fair, TikTok is starting a witch revival. There are videos on how to do spells and everything.
0: Exactly. And the fact the witch is a woman is crucial. The witch is considered a female figure globally women were accused of practising witchcraft and were burned at the stake. The last trial for witchcraft was only in 1944. In Scotland! (laughs) Helen Duncan was convicted and imprisoned under the Witchcraft Act of 1735 for supposedly making contact with a dead sailor before the ship was known to be lost. Apparently, this was a breach of wartime security. What do you think to that, Nadia?
1: That's actually really shocked me. Like, that's, like, 70 years ago and in the UK. Mm -hmm. It's almost beyond belief that a woman from such recent history could be convicted of a crime under an act from the 1700s. Mm -hmm. Like, because someone thought she was a witch. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But what has a witch got to do with, like, feminism, Ella? Back to our topic of the week. Lots.
0: In the form of the Women's International Terrorist Conspiracy from Hell, known as Witch... A second wave feminist activist group with a socialist focus. On Halloween 1968, the original New York witches gathered on Wall Street to hex the financial district, chanting Wall Street, Wall Street, mightiest of all street, trick treat, corporate corporately up against the Wall Street, (laughs) while anonymously dressed in typical witch imagery such as black cloaks and pointy hats with feathers, leaves and fur in their hair there were women concerned with both male and capitalist oppression many of them were practicing witches and just so you know the dow jones stock market did drop the following day
1: Ooh, that's airy it's like um the historical equivalent of redditors short short stopping the stock market the other day (laughs) is proving ma- magic is real in my opinion i guess you could call it performance art
0: you're right Nadia. we can plausibly interpret this as street theater protest art performance art etc by the nature of donning a costume that's rich in history and symbolism and borrowing from that by taking characteristics of what a witch supposedly is such as a charmstress and coming up with modern day hexes Witches' covens popped up all over America, fighting for students' rights, black liberation and anti-war social causes, each in their own style.
1: Wow, so they sort of were a witch movement to some extent.
0: Yeah, in one of their leaflets they wrote, The power of the coven is more than the sum of its individual members because it's in it together. That's not to say there weren't witch fights, though. Not everyone was 100% happy with their agenda. And some believed the theatrics had gone too far.
1: Well, it was definitely a unique unique
0: form of activism. Mm-hmm. So what did they do that was too far? They crashed a wedding fair in 1969. 10,000 Confront the Whoremongers stickers were stuck up around New York, ahead of the first New York bridal fair. But they didn't stop there. The witches turned up in black veils, carrying signs branded "Always a Bride, Never a Person," while singing, "Here come the slaves off to their graves." Oh,
1: that's a bit harsh. To be fair, you're looking forward to like what's supposed to be the best day of your life, <laughs> um, and then you're just getting like heckled by a group of witches. Mm-hmm.
0: In the name of revolution, the witches performed an unwedding. Rather than man and wife, they declared themselves free human beings. Then they unleashed 150 white mice onto the show floor, expecting everyone to run away screaming, but instead they just tried to save the mice from being trampled.
1: Ooh, they do say, don't work with animals or kids.
0: Yeah, a bit of a disaster. And to be honest, it seems they alienated women through stunts like these. They were protesting the oppressive elements of marriage and the consumerism that's burdened on newlywed couples, dress, venue, food, as well as china sets and new sheets. Mm. That's fair enough. They're right. Women famously haven't got a good deal from marriage, but what's the use in antagonising future or existing brides, which is most of America's female population over the age of 16?
1: Yeah, it's sort of like a good sentiment, but poorly executed.
0: Although... I do love the idea of a hex on Wall Street. Mind, if you like that, you'll love this. Witch disbanded in 1970, but they staged a comeback to hex Donald Trump in 2016. Ah. The year he was elected president, in the spirit of the original witches. Witch Boston, who you can follow on Instagram, is the biggest group at the moment, and they have put out a YouTube video of them binding Trump so he shall not break polity, usurp, liberty, or fill their minds with hate, confusion, fear, or despair. And in 2021, it's obvious Trump took liberties and incited hate, so maybe magic doesn't exist. What do you think, Nadia? Are they feminist? Have they, or will they advance feminist and social agendas? Yay or nay?
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting one, to be fair, and I'm not sure. Like, I guess my first thought is can you really reclaim the witch from like the sexist history it comes from that you were saying? Mm-hmm. Like it's something that we've been impressed by, but at the same time, you know I like the idea of using something, fem like feminine, as a form of activism. Mm-hmm. But I think I think I'd be inclined to say no overall. Um are sort of caricaturing the witch with the cloaks and the pointy hats, maybe sort of making light of quite serious situations. Mm-hmm.
0: Although, perhaps their caricature in the costume because that's what the witch is, an exaggeration, like, even made up, Witch leaflets stated, if you are a woman and dare to look within yourself, you are a witch. But what if you agreed with the causes yet didn't identify with the label witch? Which becomes difficult, as many of the original witches did practice witchcraft. In fact, it's really popular at the moment, too.
1: Yeah. I guess that aside their dramatic performances drew attention to you know really worthy social causes mm-hmm. um and it's great that they chose to disrupt the oppressions of wider society society really does need to advance women's and many other minorities rights like as we've discussed it's interesting that they took back their right to define themselves as witches mm-hmm. um i think that that trend of sort of reclaiming a term that has been historically oppressive, like the use of queer amongst the LGBT community can be really powerful. So yeah, for that reason, I think, I think I've come around to them. Yay. <laughs> so for my artwork, we're off to have dinner. We're going back to the 1970s at the height of second wave feminism, which had a really strong presence in the art world. The artwork consists of a giant ceremonial banquet with tables configured into a triangle shape and individual place settings created for important female figures celebrating their achievements. It always reminds me of that old icebreaker, you know, like, who do you invite to a dinner party, dead or alive, if you could invite anyone? <laughs> and I think Chicago really took that and ran with it.
0: I hate getting asked that question. There is way too much choice.
1: Exactly. And Chicago didn't really narrow it down to one or two. Instead, there were a colossal 39 place settings at her artwork titled Dinner Party. I wouldn't want to be the cook for that banquet. (laughs) I get stressed out when I have to cook for more than like two people. There were spaces for 13 women on each side of this triangular table, um, which represents ironically both the number of guests at the Last Supper and the number of members in a witch's coven. Oh,
0: wow. So we're coming back to the deep-rooted association between women and witches. Yeah,
1: it's interesting how that just like comes up again and again. Um, I suppose references to the bible connote the importance of the women and the reverence associated with the event, but the allusion to witchcraft reminds us of a female history in which women's talents or powers were oppressed and punished. So each place setting in this work is handcrafted with unique pictorial illustrations, supposedly characterising the woman who was meant to sit there. However, there were also numerous references to female genitalia or reproductive organs. Basically, every plate looks like a vulva. Um, The tables were arranged in that triangular shape, which again mimics the vulva, and the place settings all take that similarly suggestive form.
0: I'm not sure, but that might put you off your dinner.
1: Yeah, and at the time, 70s feminism used the symbol of the vulva or vagina a lot. Like, a lot. It was meant to celebrate femininity and rebel against the censorship and sexualization that women have faced. However, it does bring with it a lot of problems and has been heavily criticised especially in light of expanding gender studies and growing recognition that gender and sex are not one and the same. It can be seen as undermining the women's achievements that the work is supposed to be celebrating.
0: Yeah, it seems a bit counteractive to reduce women to their reproductive organs, when that is so often what their identity is reduced to, but... I suppose that's the point. Sexism is sex-based discrimination, so sex-specific imagery could be an attempt at reclaiming women's bodies for themselves.
1: And Chicago's Dinner Party was a radical artwork for the time, you know, love it or hate it. There are some very interesting elements to it, Um, so, you know, we can't just completely dismiss it. It It was an important work of feminist art. The concept of the dinner party is the perfect subversion for women's perceived place in society. Despite the 70s time frame, women were still often expected to become housewives and homemakers in that private domestic sphere. Their tasks were cooking and planning dinner parties for their husbands and maybe his work associates. Women were not often, you know, the guest of honour at such events, but rather the behind the scenes workers, you know, not being revered, not being appreciated for how much work goes into those things. Chicago in this work flips these stereotypes. She uses the dinner party to celebrate powerful and talented women. The dinner party highlights what was seen as women's work, such as cooking and hosting, that was dismissed and forgotten as inferior to the paid work that men might have experienced more prolifically that that took place in the public sphere.
0: Yeah, and um, we all know dinner parties and their seating plans are pretty much an art form in itself.
1: I mean, can you fold like a swan placing like one of those really fancy napkins? No, I can't say I can. Neither can I, because it's an art form, Ella. <laughs> the, <laughs> back to Chicago, the artwork uses a lot of decorative art techniques that have also been left behind in art history, um, in part due to their association with women. So these are often seen as inferior to the fine art forms, which include painting, sculpture, and architecture, Mm. and more feminine artworks seen as decorative art includes textiles, ceramics, and embroidery, all of which are used in Chicago's dinner party.
0: So who were the chosen women?
1: There are literally so many to name on this podcast, it would bore you, but I will say Chicago presented them chronologically, so with one wing of the three-winged table formation covering prehistory to classical rome and that included names of ancient female rulers and goddesses wow. there's one wing that covered christianity to the reformation with names such as petronilla de meath who was the first woman burned for being a witch there we are. which is you know an interesting come around and then They also had names such as Artemisia Gentileschi, who was a very famous female Baroque painter who, you know, until recently was completely overlooked by art history. Mm -hmm. And then the final wing focused on women from the American Revolution to the Women's Revolution. And this has the names that we're probably all more familiar with, such as, you know, the famous feminist Mary Wollstonecraft Uh or the incredibly successful artist Georgia O'Keeffe. The artwork certainly is an amazing record of female excellence throughout history. And I would recommend checking out the Brooklyn Museum website, which has a great record of all the plates. And it's really fun to discover these figures through Chicago's work. You can kind of click on the place setting and it will tell you all about the person behind it. I don't think we can ignore the flaws of the work that we talked about earlier. I mean, I think in general, I'm going to say, again, it's well-meant, but perhaps a bit of a product of its time that doesn't work nowadays. What do you think?
0: I'm going to disagree. I reckon the female-only dinner party physically gives women their place at the table. Mm. It's sort of reminiscent of an altar. These women were the sacrifice in the way for the rights we have now. And yes, the female genitalia might seem reductive... But I actually think it's female specific. It is their imagery. It's the thing that causes them to be oppressed. So in a way, they've reclaimed it. I think, yay, it's a powerful feminist artwork. And for my next one, we're heading on safari. Armed with wheat glue, subversive posters and a feminist mission, the Guerrilla Girls set out to challenge the art world's sexism. Their name comes from Guerrilla Warfare and their identities were concealed by gorilla, the animal, masks, and pseudonyms such as Frida Carlo, Gertrude Stein, and Kerta Corvitz.
1: Wow, it's like a scene from Planet of the Apes. I love it. In
0: 1985, the Museum of Modern Art in New York staged a massive exhibition entitled An International Survey of Painting and Sculpture, but only 13 of the 169 artists featured were women. That was the catalyst for the Guerrilla Girls, who formed in the same year. The exclusively female group of artists and art professionals rigorously researched the dominance of white males in art establishment and promoted women artists and artists of colour. One of their most famous posters features a reclining nude woman with a gorilla mask, entitled, Do Women Have to Be Naked to Get into the Met Museum? It states less than 5% of the artists in modern art sections are women, but 85% of the nudes are women.
1: Yeah, that's monumental and still so true. Walking around the National Gallery, there is an astounding amount of naked or half-dressed women in art, which personally I'm not complaining about, but in comparison to the amount of male nudes, it's a bit ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And if they were all standing there in real life, you might be sort of concerned and you'd probably get (laughs) chucked out of the museum. Um, I'm loving the Gorilla Girls, like, such a powerful movement. Do you think they were successful in this work? Yes.
0: The Gorilla Girls went mega. Their striking posters were reproduced around the world, and they totally shamed the art world, like, so much so they were invited to exhibit their work in the institutions that had excluded them, such as their permanent spot in Tate Modern in London. Yeah, that's so
1: ironic. I love the karma, like, what goes around comes around.
0: Mm-hmm. And they're still going strong today, and they're still radical. In an interview a few years ago, they said, we've been working on a weapon, an oestrogen bomb. <laughs> if you drop it, the men will drop their guns and start hugging each other. They'll say, why don't we clean this place up? And in the end, we encourage people to send their extra oestrogen pills to Republican political consultant Karl Rove. He needs a little more oestrogen. It's clear they're making a comment on the mass of warfare that exists under men in power, which may not be the same if more women were in top governing jobs. So yay or nay. Is this a good example of feminist art and agenda, Nadia? I'm definitely
1: yay. I like the sort of
0: combination
1: of the playfulness of wearing the gorilla mask, but also making really powerful points backed up by stats, which, you know, we're personal fans of. Um I think I think it makes a really good a really good message. It's it's got its message out there. It's gone into museums and galleries, like yeah, they're highlighting modern issues, but also you know, pointing out our art- artists that we might not know about.
0: Agreed. The absolute brilliant marketing campaign just showed women can be funny, dynamic, bold. They can force themselves into the public space, and for that reason, they are just the ultimate feminist icons.
1: Agreed, for sure. For my next artwork, we are staying in America, but we are hopping back to the 1970s, which I'm apparently obsessed with this week. (laughs) But the 70s, I think, was really the height of feminist art. Like, it was when it's all kicked off. And between 1977 and 1980, Cindy Sherman produced a series of photographs titled Film Stills. They're basically self-portraits starring Sherman herself in a variety of guises and settings, mimicking popular film conventions or cliches associated with women. Mm-hmm. You know, um, she put on roles such as the career girl, a bombshell, a fashion victim, a schoolgirl, And like so many more of those like cliches we're all so familiar with. Mm-hmm. She drew, drew our attention to the creation of these types of women through the construction of them through costume makeup setting camera angles you name it she addresses female stereotypes in film and the media and as a result these images are uber talented they look like they've been directly taken from movies whereas in actuality they're completely standalone photographs by keeping herself as the one constant between images and playing with that construction of femininity and identity I think Sherman exposes its superficiality. It, it's actually kind of crazy how unrecognisable she is through each image. She's completely transformed into a different character in every photo. Oh, God.
0: Unrecognisable and completely transformed are words my mum calls me when I've got ready for a night.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm glad this is a podcast rather than a video and no one knows I'm like actually wearing trackies <laughs> and I'm not dressed up at all. But Sherman isn't just in front of the camera like us she's you know behind the scenes too and she kind of does it all she's the photographer in this series she's the director of uh, the images she's her own hairdresser set designer stylist everything um and like you were saying the gorilla girls pointed out women are often the subject of art but not often thought of as the creator of art and sherman shows they most definitely are
0: we women we can do
1: it all yeah, a Jill of all trades, if you will. <laughs> Is that a phrase? I don't know. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say she was a one woman show, however, and she was assisted by friends and family. Plus like Judy Chicago's dinner party, her artwork was influenced by context and you know, the work of her contemporaries. At the time, as I've said, like feminist art was gaining traction and mass media, film and television were becoming a really dominant part of social culture. Sherman was part of a group of artists critiquing this image saturation, who are sometimes referred to as the picture generation, including, perhaps most notably, conceptual artist and collagist, Barbara Kruger. So what do you reckon, Ella? Is this feminist art yay or
0: nay? Yay. It's really interesting, accessible, and a fun way of unpicking societal constructions of femininity, whether it's hair and makeup styles, or how women are depicted in films. I suppose the main point is is it is just an image, like what it means to be a woman is smoke and mirrors, because it is certainly not, as you mentioned, as one dimensional as the perfect outfit to identify yourself as career girl or bombshell. Yeah,
1: exactly. It's sort of highlighting that women shouldn't have to fit into these sort of restrictive terms and types and stereotypes. Um, I think it's perhaps less. It's less engaging than some of the other artworks we talked about. It's less flashy. It doesn't sort of reach out at you. They're quite sort of... um, They're just these black and white, like, snapshots from films. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're a little bit more restrained, I'd say. But at the end of the day, I think the point she's making is really powerful.
0: Mm -hmm. Agreed. A big yay. Mm Right, however, this is a direct address to Tate Modern, the National Gallery, the Met Museum. Sort it out. Sort it out and get some women in, around, working for your galleries.
1: Yeah, we're, we're available for consultation.
0: Listeners, if you've enjoyed our Mernie Lisa show, share it with your friends, drop us a message and subscribe on your preferred streaming platform so you never miss an episode. And follow us on Instagram at Podcast.
1: Yeah, if you're curious about any of the images or artworks that we've talked about, they will all be on our Instagram so you can see them there. Um, And join Ella and I next time as we moan some more in our next episode. Do couples that art together stay together? (laughs) We will be discussing artistic couples of the romantic kind and thinking about whether working with or beside your other half can help or hinder your art practice.
0: So we're going to leave you now with another hex from The Witch Feminist Activists. Double bubble, war and rubble. When you mess with women, you'll be in trouble. We're convicted of murder if abortion is planned. Convicted of shame if we don't have a man. Convicted of conspiracy if we fight for our rights and burned at the stake when we stand up to fight. Double bubble, war and rubble. When you mess with women, you'll be in trouble. We curse your empire to make it full. When you take on one of us, you take on us all.